0: You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your host, Maddie Matt. Todd Fox and Gabby Gab.
1: Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with the narrator. Todd Fox. Hey, and other host of the show. Gabby Gabby. And we're back live to give you another story. Before we tell you the story, just want to let you guys know you can find us on iHeartRadio iTunes Spotify Instagram and Facebook looks just look us up under the grinding true crimes and you'll find us in our previous shows that we've done so if you guys didn't hear our last episode part one of the Golden State Killer you gotta listen to it because you're gonna get lost (laughs) not only that you're gonna find out interesting story about this gentleman because I had no idea how he started off to doing what he was doing. Todd broke it down very well, and that was part one. And this one right here is part two of the story, and I can't wait to hear it. Gabby can't either, so without further ado, go ahead, Todd. Give us part two of The Golden State Killer. Not a Gentleman, by the way. <laughs> exactly. That should be
0: the title. Not a Gentleman.
1: Say <laughs> <laughs> Gentleman? Oh, I did say Gentleman. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so part one was Golden State Killer, the cat burglar of Rancho Cordova, which was described how he started. We talked about the early parts. This is part two, and this is the Visalia Ransacker part of the story because we mentioned he had multiple names given to him by the police because they didn't know that this offender was all the same guy. They thought it was six different guys. Wow. Yeah, it wouldn't be till 43 years later do they all wrap it all into one package. (coughs) So... In the summer of 1973 in Visalia, California, which lies 190 miles southeast of San Francisco like we described, it's right next door to Rancho Cordova where he grew up, uh, which had seen a lot of burglaries, a lot of peeping tom incidents like we talked about, and dog killings. A lot of dog killings. Um, Visalia would be the next stop on Joseph uh, James DeAngelo's Reign of Terror, the Golden State Killer. Um the quiet town would not be quiet for so long. It had a population of about 5,000 at the time and um, at the time of Visalia starting to get these ransackings um, Joseph got a job with the Exeter Police Department which is another small town just to the west of Visalia. So this puts him farther away from Rancho Cordova which when the crime started or stopped in September of 1973 is why they picked up in Visalia because it was closer to him and he's on the clock as a police officer doing a lot of these crimes. So. That's crazy. Mm hmm. So there's a lot of them on duty and off duty, <clears throat> but no one knew a man called upon to protect and serve the community would be committing the crimes that he was trying to stop. And okay. As the break-ins began, the M.O.s were exactly the same as the ransackers of Cardova, and the cat burglar, I'm sorry. He would scale fences, moving through established routes such as parks and walkways and trails, attempting to pry open multiple points of entry in the houses, leaving multiple points of escape, like windows and garage doors, um, in case people came home, like we said before, placing warning dishes and bottles against doors, That way he would hear if someone was coming in and that would alert him and he could just take off. And he always always wore gloves. However, he did make one mistake and that was he wore the same shoes. So if he was in flower beds, as the burglaries would go on, the police would see that the shoe imprint was there, you know, left in the mud. Mm -hmm. So they had that. Um, At this time... (laughs) Can you guess what he was working as in, in, or or what department he was working in in the Exeter Police Department?
1: Criminal d-
0: department. <laughs> Close. What do you think, Gabby? Um, I would
1: guess he was training to be the detective now.
0: No, he was still a police officer, but he was working in a specific department.
1: Homicide. Burglar.
0: Well, Matt got it, burglary. He was working in the burglary department. Yep. Oh, wow. (laughs) And and he was also coordinating the neighborhood watch. (laughs) Wow.
1: (laughs) Well, no wonder he never got caught.
0: (laughs) He knew exactly what was going on.
1: (laughs) Wow. Yep, yep.
0: So, um, as the burglaries continued, people did see some glimpses of him and described him as the same pudgy Little chubby fat guy, about 5'10, agile though as heck, though. Like they said, for a pudgy guy, this dude was quick when he ran. I mean, how? <laughs> I don't know.
1: Hey. <laughs> yeah,
0: but how? <laughs> and the thing was, too, he wasn't conventional as far as like no one ever saw him get into a car and escape. He would steal people's bikes and then use them for crimes like the next night. So he would get on a bike, wow. and then if a cop so was in the area or even a pe- person was trying to chase him, he would ride into one of those canals and just escape or get lost in one of those trails. So hmm. he had an out for everything, and people said that he kind of had a baby face, but the peeping, the peeping ramped up. like, And, and here's the problem, too, back then. Like nowadays, police departments they talk with one another and they say, "Hey, you know, we had a homicide that sounds like something you had a couple of years ago. What about this? You know, let's swap stories and see if they're the same thing." Back then, they wouldn't. Commu- what's that?
1: They wouldn't communicate.
0: Yeah, exactly. Back then, these police departments were headstrong, and they're they
1: were like competition, huh?
0: Exactly, and they did not want to share information with anybody. So,
1: two towns That's
0: over. Had they shared the information, they would have known that probably the offender that was over in Rancho Cordova is now in their town of Visalia. And they didn't do that.
1: Wow. (laughs) Wow.
0: Yep. So, one night in 1973, a mother of uh, a 15-year-old who had been peeped on uh, about a month earlier um, heard a loud sound from her backyard. She looked out and saw the pudgy man run from her yard. She checked in her daughter's room and the screen had been removed. Luckily, her daughter was not home and with her dad at the time. So. This
1: was the one that had already experienced it?
0: Yeah, because in Visalia it started with all these things and then a month prior they had made a police report because they saw the same budgie man peeping on their daughter. So.
1: What? So he's returning.
0: Yeah, he's returning. And you'll see. What an idiot. You'll see that this guy he when he burglarizes a house he'll break into it first or he'll scope it out for a while then he'll break into it and in some cases he'll take weapons or anything that could hurt him if the people are home that way when he comes back and they happen to be home he has no problems
1: mm. so this yeah, guy, he was, he was very very well t- prepared and planned it out really good
0: Yeah, he was very tactful. So the police were called several times. And the house, you know, for the female homes that, you know, or or women that were, that caught him peeping in their backyard, staring at them from the front yard, um, knocking on their doors, running away, like just like, you know, tapping on their windows while they slept. Um, They were getting calls about this 5'10 chubby guy with blonde hair or with a ski mask. It was always the same dude, and they were finding shoe prints, things like that, and the police were always coming a little late every time. Uh, The one thing thing that they found, though, too, was instead of these dogs being beaten to death, all of them that were in these yards, because people were getting those or security, you know, uh, installations, um, these dogs were, were getting more and more of the disoriented stuff on their face, which... Later on, they found out was dog repellent, and he just had a way. He hated dogs, and anything to mess with a dog, hurt a dog, he would do. But at least in the Visalia, it was more of the dog repellent. It wasn't the beatings or the killings and stuff.
1: Why do you hate animals so much?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, sometimes uh, serial killers, that's how they get their start, by harming animals, and it gets them courage to to Yeah. So like, I don't know his his deal, but that's just how he how he rolled. So, um, wow. in 1974 in Visalia, it's still chump change. Literally, he's stealing piggy banks from kids' rooms. Um, Are you serious? Yeah, on 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 one street alone, there was a 13 year old and a 14 year old girl who had piggy banks, and he literally stole the piggy banks. Nothing else in the house. Wow. But he did do the same stuff with. Pulling the underwear out. Um in, in one house, I don't know what happened, but he went crazy in nineteen seventy. Of the kid? Yeah, of the kid's house. He Wow He ejaculated a couple times and then he had lotion, rubbing lotion, all over the house. Like he was squirting it from room to room.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yo, this guy's nuts. That- Yeah, he is. He he was imagining that that was him ejaculating the entire time.
0: It could have been, too. He was that powerful (laughs) to use lotion. (laughs) Guy's nuts. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, So by this time, the media had finally picked up that the crimes had been happening in a small town. And they were putting pressure on the police. The police were finally feeling, you know... Like crap we gotta do something because this is nightly, dude. This is like every single night there is an offense, there's a burglary, there's a call, that they have to keep going out to these places and finding either small incidences or big incidences or peeping toms. It's like the same thing and they're they're thinking, Is it a is it like multiple people doing the same thing? I mean the cops just they don't know what's going on. So the community at this time felt, with all the peeping Toms, with, like, that woman saying that, you know, her, her daughter's window was taken off, like, like, you know, he's going to hurt somebody at some time. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's going to ramp it up. Yeah. So, despite all this, um, these break-ins continue. And by Thanksgiving of that year, the, um, it started to get to be more money that was being stolen credit cards, um, even oh, he's to step up. yeah, coin collections, um, more valuable things in this time were had been stolen. And by Thanksgiving of that year in Visalia, there had been 50, 50 incidences at this time. Oh. Of, of break-ins and everything that, that were all attributed to the one person. So, 50? 50 at this time, yeah. Dang. So at this time, too, you're seeing beer cans that weren't from the people's homes left in the house, half-drinking. You're seeing their food, like if they had turkey from the night before, it's been ripped open, eaten, thrown on the floor when he's done with it. Um, oh, he was making himself
1: home. Yeah, he's,
0: and he's just being a dick, you know? <laughs> <Like> he, <laughs> he, he's tearing up their houses. Um, hey. and then, Why is he so painful? Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. And then there's some stuff where the cops are like, "What is he doing?" He'll, sti- you know, sometimes he'll steal credit cards and stuff like that. And then other times, there's money on the freaking coffee table, like a wad of it, and it's not taken. And there's, you know, there's valuable things laying out and not taken. Just stupid stuff. Mm. So. This, Why are you going with them? Yeah, this continues to baffle police and detectives until December nineteen seventy four. When a house is ransacked, of pictures of uh, the homeowner's kids, and the stuff was um, uh, left all over the floor again, masturbated on, and again lotion was spread all over the pictures. And the what? C-
1: yeah, I'm wondering now why he takes those pictures.
0: Well, that's that's something that we'll get into later.
1: But oh, okay.
0: Yeah, but uh, on February fourth, on South Whitney Street a resident, remember this name, Claude Snelling, the 81st incident that took place. 81st. 81st. And this is just within that year and a half. So the prowler, the prowler was spotted by Mr. Snelling peeping on his daughter after his daughter was screaming because he was at the door or at her window and he knocked on her window with a knife, pointed it at her, and was touching himself and telling her to come outside. Claude came out, the prowler ran off. <clears throat> so, again, the cops were too late. Um, the 91st incident occurred when the prowler tried to take a 15-year-old from her residence. As, as he's trying to take her out while she slept, however, um, the ransacker uh, was, trying to, was trying to hold her. She yelled, and he got freaked out. Escaped out the window as the family woke up, went through the flood control channel to an adjacent house, and was, was gone. And they couldn't, they, wow. couldn't, they couldn't find him. So the cops and people in the neighborhood tried chasing him. He was too fast. He got away. What? But at this point, Visalia Police Department is getting really scared because now he's brazen and he's trying to take girls out of their own house. That's kidnapping.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So, a couple nights later, a thirty-eight revolver was stolen from a man's garage. Okay. And as it was stolen from the man's garage, the guy wound up saying in the newspaper, if I were home, I would have murdered the prowler. He would have never got away with it. The next night, the man gets a phone call, and it's Joseph. And he's telling him, I'm gonna kill you. The homeowner says, oh, hey. I have another gun, bring it on. Come to my house, I'll shoot you dead. And then Joseph laughs and hangs up on him.
1: <laughs> hey.
0: Yeah. So does
1: he come back to kill him?
0: No. Fortunately, this that man survives. That man doesn't he doesn't match up with him, but you'll see at this time, Joseph is not. Wanting to do anything with a man in the house, he's just not. Yes, he's he's not graduated to that point yet. Yeah. So by the summer, late summer now, or it's it's you know it's pushing August and September time. By this time, there's a hundred and six freaking incidences. A hundred and six. Yes, and there are no suspects. The cops have nobody.
1: <laughs>
0: All they have is the you description. Would've,
1: they would have like. Set
0: up a trap by now. That's too many. But see, you're absolutely correct. There should have been a trap and there will be one. So you're ahead of the game, you know what you're talking about. You should have been the the chief of police back then because I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have <laughs> go that far. <laughs> see Gabby knows what's up. <laughs> so do you Matt, but yeah. I'm just saying like yeah. she's proactive, man. She's like, you know what? <laughs> Let's do a roadblock or something. <laughs> So all all this time, all they have is that description, the one I've told you like three or four times, he mm-hmm. remains a step ahead of the police at every freaking turn. Now, because he is the police. Exactly. <laughs> now here's where it gets a little sad. Um so fast forward after you know we we left off on August seventeenth, now it's a month later. And we're about, you know, about at a hundred and twenty or so incidences. And um, it's now September eleventh, nineteen seventy-five, at the residence of Claude Snelling. Remember, I brought up Claude Snelling. The same one. Same guy. Now. September eleventh. <clears throat> yeah, my birthday. Um His wow. his house was was burglarized, like we said before. His daughter was peeped on uh, a couple months earlier. And the description mm-hmm. yeah. was the same as the, the ransacker and the shoe print matched the scene that was found at the house. So they knew at that time it was part of the whole, you know, peeping Tom, Vicelia ransacker type. Yeah. 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 But that night on September 11th, his 16 year old girl or daughter, Beth, Beth Snelling was with her boyfriend in her room and her boyfriend were just, you know, talking, having a good time or whatever. He left the house at about 10 o'clock. Now, at that particular night, they joked about <clears throat> about seeing the prowler. And, and he actually stayed later because he's like, you know, I wish the prowler would show up because, you know, I kick his you-know-what. And um, yeah. they both joked about it. <clears throat> and so he left at 10 o'clock. The father was in the front room reading his newspaper and mom watching TV. They all went to sleep. So about 2 in the morning... um While everyone was fast asleep, picture this. You're sleeping good, and you wake up, and there's a man on top of you with his hand over your mouth. Yes. No. Yes. Now, (laughs) I don't know what games she plays with her brother, but she says, quote, I thought it was my brother playing a trick on me. He used to play games like that. That's not a game that I would play with my brother or sister. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. That's not a game I would play with my brother. Or sister. Right, like, like let's freak him out. You know, with a knife to the chest or something. <laughs> what the
1: heck? What the heck?
0: So. So she thought it was her little brother. She thought it was her brother. Yes. And um, it actually took her a few seconds to where the moonlight had shined in. And she saw the ski mask and the barrel of a gun in the other guy in the guy's other hand.
1: Oh, crap.
0: Yeah. So, um, she tried to move and struggle and he told her straight up, If you move, I'll slit your throat. I also have a knife. She then sp- yeah, she then stopped struggling and he actually picked her up out of the bed. Like so like so picture, you know, he's holding her from behind, has a <laughs> gun to her head, and is slowly backing out of the room, you know, with his body first so that he could scope Mm -hmm. the room and make sure he's not making no noise. Now, she's not making any noise until they get to the sliding glass door where she starts to dig her feet into where the sliding glass door is on the metal part. She's trying to hold on Mm -hmm. that way because he's got a good grip, like an army grip on her. And she doesn't, you know, she's starting to struggle and squirm to where he loses... His grip on her face, and she yells. So as she yells, s- what, what's that? No, I said, Yeah. So as she yells and screams, he says, "You're coming with me." With clenched teeth and just fierce, like like you know, um, what do you call it? Like he's grabbing her and he is dragging her out the door. So he he gets her out the door. The brother and the mother kind of wake up, but kind of like stay in the front room. The father, Claude, comes out. Now he's a professor at this time at one of the colleges. Well-respected mm-hmm. guy. Um, everybody loves him in the neighborhood. Nice guy, but hes he sees his daughter at gunpoint being pulled out. And the hero that he was at the time, he lunges at Joseph, but being... He shoots her. Yes. Joseph doesn't hesitate because he's trained with a firearm and he's a deadly shot. And he shoots um, Mr.... Uh, Claude snailing twice in the chest, and Yay. yes, um, Claude goes down. Um, he as now as he's firing the gun, he drops Beth to the floor. Like, he just like throws her to the floor and then shoots with one hand, nails him twice with two shots. Um, Claude goes down, grabbing his chest. Um, what do you think, Joseph does as soon as he shoots Claude in the
1: chest? Um, he shoots him and he takes off running.
0: Almost, but he does one other thing before.
1: I think he still grabs the girl.
0: You're right. What do you think he does though when he grabs a girl? Shoots her. No.
1: No. She can't. She can't be. Um. Uh, grabs her and takes her into a car.
0: No, he didn't he didn't kidnap her at this point. At this point, he's been compromised, but what he did do is a very cowardly and a very douche move. Um, he beats her over the head with a barrel of the gun four times. And then oh. and then stomps her on the head as he walks and as he runs away. Yay. Yeah. So at this time the mother runs out screaming, the neighbors hear it. Um, the brother comes out to hold his father. She runs in the house, despite her being hit in the head four times, kicked in the face. She goes in and calls 911. 911, you know, the police and fire department are there really fast, actually. And they grab Claude, and they try to save his his life, but on the way to the hospital, he dies. And, yeah, he dies. He becomes the first victim of the Golden State Killer. Um... As the police canvassed the area, they found a Huffy bike by the wash that had been stolen from a neighbor's yard on September 9th, two days prior. Um, they also found a pair of gloves that were left at the scene, and they also found shoe prints. Now, when they grabbed the, uh, they, and they found a flashlight, when they found the the bullets, uh, when they retrieved the bullet shells, uh, they matched them to the gun that they would later find that was stolen um, from the man's house. Remember he prank called and everything? hmm He used to target practice with, the, uh, with that same gun in his backyard, and they were able to retrieve the shells at that house and match them to the ones at the crime scene, and they were exact match. So they already knew it was a Visalia Ransacker right there.
1: Wow. And yeah. he had no face, though. He had what? He still had no face, though.
0: Still had no face, no nothing. They had nothing other than shoe prints and the fact that the bullets matched.
1: Was it the same shoe print?
0: Yeah, same shoe print that there was at several other uh, places. Yeah. So, more police were called in because now the police realized and the community's worst fears were realized the ransacker was now a murderer. And he did not slow down, you would think, after the murder. The (laughs) break-ins continued despite the police being... There was several occasions <clears throat> where the police were on the same street and he was in there burglarizing a house and then the neighbors wouldn't find out or the people wouldn't find out till the morning time. And they were like, damn, he was right there and we had a cop a street over.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? How did he uh, Well, I mean, he worked for the police department, so he knew. Yeah. That, so he had an upper hand and an advantage all the time. All the time.
0: Every single freaking time. And um, the, these incidents didn't slow down. They picked up. And now he was adding prank calls to it, which he would call people in the middle of the night and just be like, <sighs> he would breathe. Or oh, would, crap. Yeah, he would just terrorize people. He got off on terrorizing people and making them uncomfortable. And then sometimes... So they Yeah, and if sometimes they weren't fearful of him or they didn't react the way he thought... That would be his next victim, like he would prank call them what? first, figure them out, and then be like, you know what, I'm a, I'm gonna tear up their house. Or I'm gonna ransack their house. Dang. Yeah. So, a task force now was called in from several departments. Now, so so they now they they knew they had a big problem. They brought in police from different agencies to to help out and to stake out at night times. So, we're now up to a nothing
1: ho- from the other town though, like.
0: Yeah, still nothing from Rachel Cardova, it was from other other cities. Yeah. yeah. So, at this point we're up to 148 incidences, and it's December 9th of that year. Shoe prints were wow. f- shoe prints were found matching that the other shoe prints from the the Visalia ransacker outside of a particular house. Now, <clears throat> the next night, December 10th, they decided to take two officers, and one Mr. Officer McGowan, who was hiding in the garage next door to a, that particular house that had the shoe prints. And then he, his partner was across the street on Cuega Street waiting as well in the yard. So they were both staking out the the neighborhood, right? So just two blocks away, though, here's the thing, just two blocks away, they get a phone call as they're waiting there, not a phone call, but on the radio. It comes over the walkie-talkie that the uh, Visalia ransacker had been spotted, and he broke into a couple's house, stole some things, and he was last seen two blocks away from where the two officers were. So <laughs> in, so instead of, and this is where good detectives come in and good police, they actually thought, you know, because they were called to to respond to that house, and they both figured... No, you know what? Let's stay where we're at because maybe, you know, he's scoping out these houses before he goes into them. Maybe his next stop is here and we could run into him and get lucky, right? Yeah. So not more than 15 minutes later that they discussed it and they stayed where they were at and they held their positions. Now, McGowan, though, he went into one of the garages and he hid in one of the garages. So he's hiding in the garages. Fifteen minutes later they see Joseph James D'Angelo, the Visalia Ransacker, coming, in, what? coming into the very garage that they're staking out. So the other... Did co- they
1: get him then?
0: will we'll check it out. I'm getting... To <laughs> check, check out what happens. So he's he's on the other side of the street, his partner. Now, his partner doesn't see it at this time. Only McGowan does, and, he's, and it would be too loud, he would give his position away if he radioed his buddy and said, hey, I've got him, i got him, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. Joseph enters the garage, doesn't see McGowan hiding behind some boxes, goes through the back door of the garage, through the backyard, and is trying to then break into the back sliding glass door of that particular house. As he's, okay. as he's trying to come in through the back, McGowan comes out of the garage and says, Freeze! And he points his flashlight at at Joseph. Now Joseph throws his hands up and says, in a screeching womanly voice is described by McGowan. Please don't shoot me. Please don't shoot me. I don't want to die. I'm you know, Please, please, I'll put, I'll, put, I'll put my hands up. My hands are up. And he's like begging, but like in a womanly voice, like a very screech voice, right? Mm-hmm. So McGowan, you know, he, he's like, you know what? Um, he's like, put your hands up. Put your hands up. And for, for a second, they're in a stalemate. And then Joe looks, turns around at him with his ski mask on, and then runs. So then the police officer McGowan follows him. As he's following him, he shoots a warning shot in the air because he, you know, he can't radio his partner at the same time. So his partner's like, "Oh crap!" So then he follows the gunshot. So he starts bolting from uh-huh. the other side of the street, and he's trying to follow oh, where the gunshot was going. He sees, uh-huh. he sees his partner and everything jumping over two fences ahead. Like he's jumped into. Now they're two yards over. The other cop is trying to catch up. So, as they get into the third, um, what do you call it, um, backyard, Joseph stops and throws his hands up again. And and at this point, McGowan has his gun pointed at him with his left hand and his his uh, flashlight to his face in his right hand. And he's pointing it at Joseph and he's again saying, S-, he goes, put your hands up or I shoot. No more warning shots." And Joseph like turns around in a screeching voice and don't shoot, don't shoot. And he has his guns up and he or his hands up and as he goes to turn with his left hand, the surprises McGowan and takes his shot and hits McGowan. And, what? Yeah. So and then as soon as he shoots, and McGowan hits the floor, Joseph jumps the next thing and disappears. The cop comes over. The the, the finally his partner gets there just as Joseph jumps. He then tries to follow him into the second thing, and McGowan's on the floor, and he realizes if I jump into that thing, it could be an ambush, I could get shot. So he runs back to his partner, calls in the radio, and says, I need backup, officer down, officer down. What happened was... What what happened?
1: No, I said, what?
0: Yeah, so what happened was McGowan should have played the lottery because remember how I told you how he was holding his flashlight up to his face? And you know, uh-huh. and sort of like you have the gun in your left hand, you have the flashlight toward a, sort of eye level with you
1: and the perpetrator. The, yeah, the flashlight deflected.
0: It saved his life. He, uh, Joseph, wow. shot a bullet that went straight through the freaking um, flashlight. Had he not had that to his eye, it would have went through his eye and out his head. He would have been killed instantly. Instead, wow. it, it blew up the flashlight to where the shrapnel went all over his face, injuring him pretty bad, but it did not uh, go into his eye at all to where he lost vision. He just had a lot of scars on his face.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow.
0: Yes. So um, Joseph was a dead shot. You know, like he he was very skilled at shooting. Um
1: Dang. I was so close.
0: Hey, good thing you had that flashlight, though. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, yeah, the the shrapnel, you know, by the time the other police came there, they they canvassed the area, they brought in helicopters, which at that time the police, the local police didn't have helicopters, so they got them actually from the highway patrol. They came in, they were floodlights everywhere looking for this guy, and he was nowhere to be found. He got away. Um, Wow. Unfortunately... uh, You know, as years passed, uh, Officer McGowan's son was able to get justice for his father, but his father had passed away of a heart attack uh, eight years prior. So he never knew of Joseph James D'Angelo, the man who did it to him. So he went to his grave. That was the only incident that ever happened to him as a police officer. that nearly took his life, but it traumatized him. And this is another story of somebody that all these people that I've talked about, you know, and that we'll get into, all these people were traumatized in some sort of way, and they had to live with it the rest of their lives, or they're continuing to live with it to this day. And even the son was traumatized because the father had a lot of PTSD afterwards.
1: Dang. Yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised. Did He, did he, he stayed on the force, though, right?
0: Yeah, he stayed on the force, um, but he did have, like, a good three months off, and um, he was awarded a medal, as you know, for, for chasing and, and doing. They said he did nothing wrong. Um, some officers, though, were critical of him, uh, saying that he should have just shot shot the perpetrator instead of uh, jumping the, those two additional fences. But he said mm-hmm. that the perpetrator didn't appear to have a gun or a weapon, and he didn't feel right shooting the, the person in the back. So he was a good guy. But um, yeah. But a very trustworthy police officer that almost got himself killed. Hey, man. So when that incident took, took place, the 148th incident in Visalia, that's where the Visalia ransackers stopped. And that's where we'll stop today.
1: <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so this was in the span of two years?
0: Yes. This was uh, 74, 75
1: so in the span of two years, he's already had a, over
0: 148 incidents. Yeah, not counting the ones he had in, in uh, Rancho Cardo as well. Wow! Wow! So, Jesus! So this is, th- and I'll ha- we'll have to go into a warning for the next episode because this one is again the first one was a setup. You know, we talked about that one. Yeah, there was a murder in this one. There was a couple attempts at kidnapping. Um, it's going to get really, really bad as he turns into part three, the East Area Rapist. That's where it gets really
1: yeah. So part three is going to be the, the big one.
0: Yeah, part three is going to be the big one, and it could take two to get through it because the number of incidences that he did as the East Area Rapist were off the charts.
1: Dang, man. Shoot. This guy is something else, man.
0: Yeah, what are your thoughts on the Visalia Ransacker?
1: My thoughts is, number one, I got, well, I'm not going to give him credit, but one thing I will say is he was ahead of everybody, and that's something where it's like, well, dang, like, the dude got, well, he was smart, but I'm just saying, like, the dude was really intelligent to be one step ahead of Everybody, including the police department. Yeah. Like it it just shows you how clever he was into doing what he had to do doing what he was doing.
0: He he was scary good.
1: Yeah. Just
0: I mean to me, as we'll talk in the next episode, he will use those prank calling um He will use those prank calling um, uh, things to his advantage and he will get off on terrorizing people. I mean, it's not just physically doing harm to someone. He wants to psychologically do harm to you. Dang. This isn't your normal perpetrator in any way. That's the scariest part of it. Like, if they were to make a movie about this or a series, it would be freaky because... He he like takes a little bit of every horror movie that you've seen, and just uses it as one guy. I think he gets
1: like he feels more and more power mm-hmm. as things get worse and getting away with them. It's, it's like a massive ego boost, and he feels invincible now.
0: Absolutely, I think I think if he were younger, I think. Um, with everything you just described, he would be one of these guys that drives one of these big old trucks with a ball sack hanging on the back because he's <laughs> trying to overcompensate for something.
1: Yes. Yeah. But, a uh, the walls of steel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Hey. He's sick though. All these girls are minors. Like they're still kids. That's disgusting. Yeah. He didn't
0: care. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Matt's, Matt's going to hit it on the nail because as we move along into this part three of the series, um, You'll see age does not make a difference
1: wow that's 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 a warning shot Is that it, a warning
0: it is and and next week in the next episode, I'm telling you you gotta you gotta drop a parental advisory because there's gonna be some things said in there man I'm telling you
1: wow well shoot we'll wait for the next episode to hear that story cause <laughs> yeah. this one already got me. Yeah, I'll just. <laughs> we'll wait for part three, man. Because if you if you're gonna get into details, oh man,
0: yeah.
1: All right, well, I'll make sure before uh, we we do that part three. I'll I'll give a warning. Yeah. Let people know parental <laughs> the parental warnings about.
0: Yeah, parental discretion. There you
1: go. There you go. Parental discretion advice. <laughs> Uh. Yep. Well, that was part two of the Golden State Killer. This man is showing how brazen he is and showing how desperate he is and showing how much that he loves power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, if you didn't hear part one on how it started, please listen to that. Part two was a good one. I can't wait for part three. (laughs) <laughs> but we'll get into that next week but Before we do we sign off well, I gotta let you guys know where you can find us You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio Just look us up under the Grinding True Crime Podcast And also find us on Facebook and Insta- Instagram To follow us On there as well So with that being said This is Maddie Mack Signing off along with our narrator Todd Fox And uh, the other host of the show Gabby, Gabby. And we are signing off, guys. Later.